The following program has been brought to you by Rolling Press, a family-run, eco-friendly printing company. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. All right, you are listening to the main course on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Patrick Martins. Thanks for listening. We're engineered in studio by Liz. Liz. Hello. Oh, all right, good. Uh, a lot of engineers have fallen asleep already at this point in the show, but it's nice to hear your alert as ever. How's it going for you over there? Oh, me? Little yeah. me? Things are great. Things are absolutely great. <laughs> Any great things on the studio, uh, through the studio this week or last week or anything? Any great memories you want to tell our listeners about just in case they didn't get a chance to tune in live? You know, that's a good question. I think everybody's on vacation right now, so it's been a bit slow for me. Absolutely nothing has happened on the network, and um, <laughs> I'm sure the show, uh, today's episode, will continue that uh, inspiring trend. No, just kidding. There's a lot uh, going on, but it's great that the show's uh, th- take some time off. I mean, God, 30 hours of live programming. These hosts come in each and every week throughout the year, um, and we are currently on our big fundraising drive our big mid-year fundraising drive and you know i was thinking about all the people that download episodes and who wake up in the morning and you know listen to the two or three minute news pieces and you know i think heritage radio network is actually part of the fabric of a lot of people's lives and you know makes people a little happier um you know that they can listen to these people to know that these people come into roberta's and do their show live so um it is our fundraising drive it's a great way to show that you appreciate the energy of all these people, uh, from the writing team to Liz and the engineer department. Um, many of these people work for no money, so um, definitely consider giving. For $120, you get a beautiful tote bag that can hold uh, a small child or a small dog or farmer market goods. So uh, I think it can hold like 500 pounds. It's a super sturdy bag. So God, if that's not incentive enough to give, I don't know what is. Um, We are very happy to have uh, in the studio, Mike Poirarkoff. Poirarkoff. Good job, Liz. On the ball. So uh, thanks so much for coming in, Mike. Oh, thanks for having me. Mike is a uh, is currently the chef uh, at uh, Vinegar Hill House, which is a total institution, uh, you know, in the city. From when it first opened, it acquired an almost cult-like status. Um, and before you, there was a chef, Brian, uh, who had been there for a number of years. So, I mean, you came in just, what, about six months ago? Yeah, right uh, just after the beginning of the year I started there. So really, tell us about that. I mean, Vinegar Hell House was the first restaurant, and I think probably remains the only one to exist in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it doesn't look like you're in New York uh, when you're up there. It's like cobblestone streets. Yeah, it's, it's a very strange area. It's a little, it's like a four by four block area, Vinegar Hill. Uh, very specific area, cobblestone, um, brightly colored doors, kind of a south of France type feel going on. Um, yeah, and that was that was a lot of the charm that, that brought me over to that area. I mean, and the restaurant reflects a lot of that charm. It's, you know, reclaimed wood, um, 
it looks kind of like your grandma's house, but mm-hmm. in, in the best possible way. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And uh, I mean, when you, uh, how did it happen? Uh, uh, you, were you concerned uh, about uh, going to that work for a place like that? Cause I know it's owned by, you know, Gene and Sam and it's very, it's their one restaurant, you know, they're very close to it or they have others, I guess, in far Rockaway. And, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, was that weird going in, uh, knowing that there was, for instance, this country rib dish or, you know, that they had their own energy with, uh, how it was and that it's a small kitchen and such. No, I mean, I think that is, that's part of the appeal for me. I mean, I'm used to working in small kitchens. I've never really worked in a, a giant kitchen. Uh, and to have those, those set menu items, it's, it's really good product. I mean, the, the red wattle, that's the chop that's always been there, it's still the same chop um, because that, that meat is delicious. And I do my take on it. Brian did his take on it. Um, but it's things like that that they're there for a reason is because they're they're so good and I was excited to come into that and to be able to work off of those things. Well, very interesting. So I mean, how did it work? So when you were when they were uh, testing you out or I don't know what the word is. I mean, uh, what were you bringing to them? Did you go and eat there a couple of times and then during an interview process prepare foods that you thought were similar or did you trail your own? Uh, blaze your own trail and they're like god this is radical it's not for this restaurant but you're an amazing chef i mean how does that work trying to be yourself but also be what the restaurant is um yeah i just i didn't i hadn't eaten there i'd eaten there once um a couple years ago before i uh went in for the trail uh but i just went in and did a tasting for them and kind of just cooked my own food and i was at a point in my career where i was just I just wanted to cook my own food and have somebody want that for their restaurant. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, you know, you look at all these places. When I saw the wood-burning oven uh, at Vinegar Hill and the, the small kitchen and what they were trying to do, uh, I figured I, I had a great shot there. So mm-hmm. I cooked my own food, and uh, Gene and Sam seemed to like it. And, and that was the end of it. So were you tempted to use like exotic spices and strong flavors uh, just to make sure that the taste really smacked of deliciousness or because your style is a kind of simpler style, right? I mm-hmm. mean, more rustic, maybe uh, less complicated, less uh, fireworks. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I really just just use the products that I'm used to. I, I'm used to introducing a lot of smoke into my food through an actual smoker so it was different using the wood oven to achieve that but it's still kind of on the same ground and it was things like that using fruit elements using local products uh a lot of you know i'm I'm making my own vinegars i'm making my own charcuterie uh so a lot of that goes into it and it's a very simple product but at the same time i think that the way that myself and and my cooks do it is is original Oh, very interesting. So uh, we'll talk about this in a bit. But so at char number four, you were using a smoker, right? Yeah. Uh, and then uh, here you're using an old oven, mm-hmm. a hot oven. So how does meat behave in those environments? And how did you have to adjust for each device? Uh, well, with the smoker, I, I was getting used to using the smoker as more of almost like an immersion circulator where you can you can hold your temperature. You know exactly what it is. It's It's not going above that. In a lot of those long processes, overnights, you know, eight to, to fifteen hour smokes on things, leaving the leaving it on after you go home, and then mm-hmm. coming back in the morning and seeing how it's doing. Exactly. Uh, and the oven's kind of the opposite. We kind of keep that around eight hundred and fifty degrees for service. Uh, so when you throw a chop in there, 
you, you, you're constantly looking at, you're constantly moving it, playing with it, trying to figure out where the best area is in the oven because that's that oven position that we have uh, as a line cook is more about the oven than anything else. It's learning to use your tools properly. Mm-hmm. And, and different parts of the oven have different heat. Does that change from hour to hour, what the hottest part of the oven is, and uh, how do you manipulate where the meat is in relation to, what, wood, burning wood? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it starts off with where you build your fire. Uh, you figure out, because it's the, the heat works because of the, the circular uh Dome. Build, build, dome of the oven. Mm-hmm. So if you build your fire in the right place, you get a certain amount of heat in certain areas. So you go from there, and then you move your, you figure out where you're going to cook your fish, where you're going to cook your, your beef, where you're going to cook your pork, uh, according to what you want. You want that crust on the chop, so that goes right into the flame. Um, and then we base that and, and let it rest uh, and, and just carry the rest of the way because it's already been seared at, at over 800 degrees. Mm. Uh, and yeah, it's just playing with it. We have to feed it continually through service. So if, even if you're, you're in the weeds and you're about to go down, you have to remember to, to throw a stick in the oven. Hmm. Now, do you, uh, constant, do, do you check the temperature through an actual thermometer of some sort? Yeah, we or? have, a, we have a temperature gauge on the oven. I'm not sure exactly how accurate it is, but it's, it's there. And, uh, like I have, a. You know, I live in Prospect Heights, so there's like 40 different roads that I can take. But I almost always take the fastest one, mm-hmm. you know, the one that I think. Of. But every once in a while, I break from it. I mean, is it different with the oven? I mean, are you always placing the same amount of wood in the same spot just to get that consistency? Or are you looking to mix it up and see how it affects? Because that one simple tool can probably turn out dozens of different tastes. Or oh, yeah. Um, and we, we had um, – it's off right now. It might come back. We were doing – uh, a beet dish earlier this year where we would just just poach through baby beets and then let the fire die down mm-hmm. and then just let them roast in there and they just slowly char over mm-hmm. uh, completely on the outside so you can do things like vegetables once you let the fire die down a little bit uh, is really a great tool mm. very interesting so do you prefer the uh, smoker or the uh, oven i mean if you had to open your own place one day and you would get your device would you use uh, an oven or a smoker like the ones you would I think the, I think you can achieve very different things with, mm-hmm. with both of them. I mean, I would love both, but uh, for slow food, uh, I like the smoker, obviously. Mm-hmm. But for for big cuts of meat, nothing is is better than that oven. All right, interesting. Yeah. Well, tell us about some of your early memories before we get into Vinegar Hill House and the menu. I mean, some of your early influences, like working with Matt Greco at Char Number Four. To, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about some of the things that uh, you appreciate or, or that you learned from your time there. Um, well, I I came into the restaurant right after um, when Matt had opened the restaurant. It had been open about a year and a half, uh, and Matt had just had a kid. Okay. Uh, so I came into the restaurant kind of like in, in a weird time, I think. Uh, and he he was used to always being there, but he needed to to put some of that work on somebody. Uh, and I just wanted to learn. Mm-hmm. I had never, you know, I didn't attend culinary school, uh, although I grew up cooking and, and was kind of in it, in the works in some way, in some fashion my whole life. But I had never gone to culinary school. I would never worked in a professional kitchen. Uh, so... I had the opportunity to learn from somebody very talented from scratch uh, in a way that I was, I, he needed me to accomplish these things, so they had to get done. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So, you know, I was pushed early, uh, and that was probably the best way that I could have learned. Yeah, circumstance. You just got to, there are people sitting in the dining room, so that's a real incentive to perform well, huh? Exactly. Well, very good. And uh, so uh, you learned that with Matt Gricko. And talk about your early influences. I mean, when did you first know that you wanted to become a chef? Or were there certain taste epiphanies you had? Uh, what were some of your early jobs or memories of uh, working in the food world? Um, well, our our family always cooked. Uh, our dad had a catering business for a little bit uh, at one point. Uh, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, Pittsburgh, born and raised. Great food town. Yeah. Yeah, get some sausages in your Italian your sandwich. Uh, yeah, Italian neighborhood, right? Yeah. With all those hanging things from the ceiling and uh, old places. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of cultures, and it's in a very small city, so it kind of all blends at some point. Um, but yeah, our, our family is Eastern European. Uh, we grew Russia. up, and we, we ended up, we were making sauerkraut when we were very young in giant barrels in mm. our grandfather's basement. Wow. Um, and those would go, I mean, it's not here you make sauerkraut and it's maybe a couple weeks. Um, you're watching it. It's, it's in a special environment. Uh, we were using, you know, 55 gallon barrels, uh, and, and we had logs, logs on the ends of sticks where we just punch it all down for a whole day to just fill them all the way up. And we'd basically feed our whole church, uh, the extended family, Everybody wow. uh, come Easter time, and we'd make things Russian like Orthodox? Russian Orthodox. Okay. Yeah. So serious church time. Oh, yeah. 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 And, uh, wow, so you were. it was a community thing back then, because when you're an enclave, like a, a group of Russians in a town like Pittsburgh, it's probably a pretty tight-knit group. Yeah, and we, we made the sauerkraut. We made and canned uh, horseradish and pickles all the time. Mm. Uh, made that for all the whole church. And then our great aunts were phenomenal bakers. Uh, and they would make all of the the Easter breads, the nut rolls, the paskas, and we'd make uh, an egg cheese called hrudka. Hrudka? Yeah. Tag hrudka. that one. It's it's spelled like it sounds, Liz. Yeah. Just <laughs> hrudka. But that's when we, uh, and I'm sure uh, my, all of my family members have memories of that one where you just stir a pot of cream and eggs for hours and hours until it, it forms tiny little beads, uh-huh. and then you press that in cheesecloth. Wow. But it's, it's basically a whole day of just stirring a pot of eggs. <laughs> That's interesting. And um, now Russian cuisine is not particularly known as being one of the great world cuisines. Like uh, there's not that many Russian restaurants that I'm aware of in the city. There's mm-hmm. like the Russian samovar and all that. But they do have all these kind of uh, recipes, I guess, for adding value or yeah. fermenting things because it's it's a cold place isn't it yeah and i think that's that's definitely shown through what i'm doing now like i i do a lot of cured fish um pickles things that are, are simply done but you you need to know exactly how they operate so that they don't go bad mm-hmm. and, and you make a, a great product yeah and then you find out three weeks later that you screwed up some yeah. part of the process <laughs> so you really did you would uh spend time cutting uh uh, vegetables for horseradish. I mean, so you were really like an apprentice of these things, working with the extended family to produce this stuff. Yeah. Wow. From as far back as you can remember? Oh, yeah. Because we were, I mean, it was to the point where we'd do the horseradish and, you know, that was character building right there. <laughs> you, you weren't allowed to leave. The- <laughs> 
That's funny. And uh, and then did you were you ever given the right to cook for the family? I mean, where you would be cooking the main course, or were those rules pretty uh, well determined? Oh no, we we cooked from a very young age. Our whole family would chip in. We'd we'd all cook together. But then eventually, as you know, some people moved away. Uh, and the family got got smaller. Uh, my brother John and I started cooking a lot of the meals ourselves. You know, we'd do mm-hmm. Thanksgiving when we were a very young age, and we'd just you know wake up early with our father and and start cooking and have dinner ready by you know six. So, who were your two or three greatest uh, mentors from that era? Uh, was it your baking aunts, or was it you and your dad working alone, or or your brother who is also in the food world? He is the uh, chef at the Pines, which mm-hmm. is another very well respected restaurant here in Brooklyn. Um, I think I, I worked with my aunts a lot. I did a lot of the the baking, okay. uh, and and working with my grandpa to do the pickling, mm-hmm. uh, and then obviously my dad, you know, was always there, taking us places, showing us, uh, helping us. Um, but yeah, I I did a lot. I really enjoyed the baking. Okay. Yeah. And have you introduced any of these pickling or curing fermenting techniques to Vinegar Hill House yet? Yeah, yeah, we did kraut on the chop for a while. We were making some kraut. We, I always like to keep an arsenal of pickles on hand uh, to just throw throw pickles on things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, we're doing some cool things. We're making our own vinegars uh, by fermenting and then and then adding a mother to that. Uh, adding a what now? A vinegar mother. Oh, wow. Yeah. Vinegar mom, huh? Vinegar mom. Wow. Very cool. And so you're, if you've introduced these things a little bit to Vinegar Hill House, just, uh, they, I'm sure they've been happy to incorporate it. Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome. And uh, and then was your family happy that the two sons became chefs? I mean, many families would be like, what the hell? Where did we go wrong? Uh, I think it was half and half. Um, <laughs> John and I both went to school for, for other things. Uh, he went to school for psychology, and I went to school for writing and studio art. Hmm. And we both ended up in kitchens. It's so funny, yeah. Uh, and my wife, uh, same thing, art, and was like kind of disappointed by that whole world. We just interviewed Josh Lorano, the chef of Babo, uh, and then Lupa, and he, or one of the chefs of Babo, and, and the current chef of Lupa, he was like, same thing. It was in art, didn't like it, got in kitchens, and now you. So that's definitely a trend. Yeah. It's a, a different type of art form. Well, very, very interesting. So we are going to uh, take a break, and then we're going to come back with Mike. Uh, Mike? Poyarkov. Yes. Very good, Liz. And uh, Poyarkov. And uh, we're going to talk about his current situation, a little bit about the menu of Vinegar Hill House and their adjacent place, which uh, sells different things, different kind of menus. So stay with us, and we will be back on the main course in one minute. to Rain Dance by Feral. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. This summer, Heritage Radio Network is turning five years old. Since our launch in 2009, we've continued to bring you food and culture content like no one else. And we need, absolutely need your help. HeritageRadioNetwork.org is a passionate, grassroots, action-oriented, nonprofit organization. That means we depend on the support from listeners like you to keep us alive. If you love what you hear on Heritage Radio Network, visit our website and become a member today. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support. was brought to you by Rolling Press. Rolling Press is a family-run digital and offset print house that brings together eco-friendly methods, ethical practices, and personalized service. Using environmentally responsible papers, non-toxic inks, and wind power, Rolling Press represents the harmony of traditional craftsmanship and mindful sustainability. Rolling Press offers advice on reducing paper waste and energy consumption, helping you save money and minimize your carbon footprint. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. Hi, I'm Reggie Watts, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. All right. Well, um, I do. Uh, I love Rolling Press. I love uh, going there because they will tell you that you're being an idiot. They'll be like, "Why are you putting that on the cover when it obviously shows uh, that the, the, the you know pictures are better or less words are better?" And that is invaluable to people who you know might have their heart in the right place but don't really know exactly. That is like a boutique. Uh, printer and they are the, I think maybe the first in the nation that really dedicated themselves to sustainability um, so I'm a big fan of Rolling Press and appreciate their support uh, I am Patrick Martins your host of the main course on the Heritage Radio Network we're broadcasting out of Roberta's restaurant 261 Moore Street and we are in studio with uh, Mike the chef of Vinegar Hill House the famous Vinegar Hill House so he started working there as the chef about uh six uh, months ago and it has two components right hillside is uh, one part of the restaurant and then vinegar hill house itself is the other one yes so tell us about uh, the difference between the two and uh, the different experiences and also from the food side uh so vinegar hill house is the restaurant uh we're open seven days a week uh dinner during the week brunch on the weekends uh and dinner we do it's it's a small menu there but it's it's simple and i think it's very it's well curated right now everything's from scratch uh except our bread we're working on that trying to get a bread program down as well uh get you you're flying your, in your aunts from pittsburgh yeah <laughs> um yeah and and we do normal service there uh we have the backyard out there beautiful right now um with all the, the flowers and does anyone live in the back house no, no, it's just the, the carriage house. Yeah, the empty just where house. you go to nap. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, and you can have parties. You can come in uh, with many people as you want. Hang out at the bar. Uh, standard restaurant, mm-hmm. and then Hillside. We have uh, what was opened as a wine bar. Uh, we're now using that for special dinners. 
Okay. And we, when I started there, it was empty, and we were trying to do something with it. And I was very excited about this position, as I still am, and wanted to do something kind of special in that space. So we started doing some chef collaboration dinners and some purveyor collaboration dinners. So the first one was uh, with a bunch of Brooklyn chefs, some friends of mine. Mm-hmm. The second series we did with some cheese purveyor. I, I know it. Yeah. I was at it. Uh, so, yeah, and that turned out, that was excellent. We got some really unique cheeses in, some stuff made specially for us, uh, and had a blast. And I think we're going to be doing some farm collaborations mm-hmm. coming up uh, one protein and one vegetable farm. I see. Interesting. And uh, that uh, provides a little bit more leeway. I mean, you can do things that uh, uh, you conceive right at the moment, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. um, I remember this cheese dish you did. It was like an appetizer with like, uh, it was like a leafy green with a kind of mascarpone cheese or whatever. I forget exactly what it was, but it was out of this world. Uh, It's fun because we have the set menu at, at Vinegar Hill House and uh, we do what we do over there, but the cheese dinners and the the collaborations kind of force you to think outside the box, and it's a really great way to share ideas and create something that is is very much what we do, but not necessarily something that we could achieve on a day to day basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to build a lot of effort and prepare a lot of stuff for one particular event, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And uh, tell us about the whole animal breakdowns. I know you buy whole lambs and uh, different livestock like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, is that was that done there before? And, I mean, what's your goal with that? I mean, a few people do whole animal breakdown. What do you get out of it? And um, it's I don't know whether it was done there before or not, but it's something that I'm big on, and I would eventually love to have just just a whole animal program. Because it, it encourages you, or the same as the dinners, it encourages you to, to make use of that animal. And it, it helps in our charcuterie. We come up with a lot of interesting things by needing to use parts of the lamb. And it also, with, with the lambs, we bring those in the once a month uh, and break them all down. And then we have that all over the menu for the next week. But you can't overload it. So some things are cured. Some things are brined for a couple of days. Some things are roasted. And it's really great for the cooks because you get to experience how to cook all of these different proteins mm-hmm. in numerous ways. And uh, you break it down. Uh, do you, how long do you hang it? And, uh, you know, like a lamb, if you get it on a Monday and it's seven days old, uh, what is it? Do you look at the meat and mm-hmm. it t- kind of tells you when it needs to get broken down? Exactly. Uh, we hang in the walk-in uh, normally about another week until we break it down. Uh, we let it dry out a little bit. Um, until you can really see what you're doing in there. Uh, and, and obviously you, you get that, that certain with the lamb, you get a lamb fat. Uh, you can feel it and smell it and, and taste it on there when it's ready. And then, yeah, we the last couple times uh, I've done it myself, we bring it, throw it out on the table, and we don't have bandsaws there. We don't mm-hmm. have any fancy equipment. So it's really just a boning knife, uh, a cleaver, and a, and a rubber mallet. Hmm. Uh, but everybody stands around and we all talk about it with the different cuts of the lamb and what we're going to do with them and then make use of it. Very interesting. So um, now let me ask, is there such a thing as a bad order 
at a restaurant like where you or, or a great order you know in either direction where you're like whoever that is on table 12 they ordered great i mean is there is there the do you get rewarded for ordering smart or is the goal that there's no combo that's better than the other because everything is just delicious or do you read anything off tables i've always wanted to ask this question but i've never asked it in all yeah. the years on radio um yeah there's most certainly bad in, in good orders yeah um and yeah and you can obviously tell there's I mean, you have the, the, the date night order. You know, you get the pasta and the steak. You get that in. Um, yeah, there's, there's terrible order. Like, if it's all appetizers, yeah, all the appetizers should be good. But try, try a little bit of everything. Like, we have, we have our apps. We have our pastas, sides, and entrees. Um, get a variety. Don't, don't be the person that gets six appetizers. <laughs> Interesting. And uh, how many turns do you do at, uh, at Vinegar Hill on a night? I mean, it's always full. Yeah, I mean, we like to do two and a half. Um, and then right now, I mean, the weather's beautiful, so we get that initial turn in the garden uh, in the back. So if you want to sit in the garden, get there early because people tend to just hang out there mm-hmm. for the rest of the night. Uh, so we have that going on all the time, and we do have our PDR downstairs, which is nice because uh, mm-hmm. we can have some parties in there at the same time. But yeah, norm- normally about two and a half. So give a shout-out to your staff. Uh, who's your team there now, and uh, who did you bring on, and, and how does it all happen? Uh, staff is it's changed a lot uh, since I've been there. My sous chef, Brett Langstaff, uh, is there right now uh, holding it down with James Gersey. Uh, my grill cook, uh, along with Perry Fuchs, uh, Emily, and Josh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. And uh, Gene and Sam, have you learned anything from them yet? Have you been there a long, an, enough time to say, oh, uh, they're unusually good at doing this, or uh, they're very talented at creating this? I mean, obviously the atmosphere is so unique, uh-huh. and uh, the uh, view from Hillside is probably one of the best restaurant views in all the city, even though it looks off at something unusual, you know, just like a little cobblestone street. But have you learned anything there yet uh, in this oh, transition? Yeah. Oh, you can't help but, but learn from Jean and Sam. I mean, Jean's been in it for a while, and she's incredibly accomplished. Uh, she, And she's one of those people, She, it's... I feel very comfortable working with them. Uh, with the group that we have, I feel like with everybody's attributes, it, it comes in really perfectly to, to help run this restaurant. Uh, and, and yeah, Jean always has an answer for mm-hmm. something. And, and she's always backup. She's always support. And, and Sam is, is great on the business end mm-hmm. uh, and, and managing the building and, and teaching me those kinds of things. So, yeah, there's, I learn every time I'm involved with them. No, no, definitely an interesting crew. I remember one of the the founder, really, of uh, Roberta's, Chris Parakini. He worked the oven for a few months mm-hmm. uh, under Jean way back in the day when she was still uh, at the kitchen and uh, in the kitchen every night. And she has a, a kid now, right? A little yeah. boy. Yeah, Mo. Mo, yeah. Is yeah. he uh, working? Is he helping you uh, cut? for horseradish yet uh, that'll be a good i'm sure they'll love that now he, he just hangs out he's normally hanging on the front of of one of them <laughs> this is the the baby jewelry but yeah yeah well interesting nice family owned business uh well we wish you guys all the luck in the world you must have an email list right at vinegarhillhouse.com where people can find out about the farm dinners mm-hmm. yeah you can go to our website uh all the information should be on there it'll take you you can just purchase a ticket at any time uh, and reserve your spot for those dinners. Yep, and for people from out of town, uh, you know, it's uh, 
Absolutely. Uh, you will never not like it. Um, uh, Vinegar House remains Anne's top one or two favorite restaurants in all the city after all these years. And um, she was saying that uh, nothing has missed a beat since you've taken over from the time she's been in and for that special dinner. So um, thanks for coming on. And, uh, you know, best of luck in this uh, new chapter of a really interesting career that goes way back. Yeah, thank you. Thanks All right. For having me on. Well, uh, you've been listening to the main course, and um, don't forget to donate and stay tuned for the next show, which is the Mike and Judy show. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.